So 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, what we're going to do is begin in verse number 9. So if you ever, verse number 9. It says, but as it is written, I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. See, you don't know the things that God has for you till you get in line with God. This is why the world can't understand God. The world looks at the cross and calls it foolishness. But for us that are saved, the Bible says, it is the power of God unto salvation. And whenever we're looking at Knowing God and knowing things about God, the world will always misunderstand God and not comprehend the true nature of God. Amen? You see, you don't get to say, I'll believe if you show me. God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe, and then he reveals. In, in verse number 10, it says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, it is the, the revelation that we get is from the spirit of God. You don't get revelation from any other source but from the spirit of God. This is why Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Because whatever you get from God, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Any sermon, any Bible study, any devotional, any insight in prayer, any word of knowledge, any tongues, anything that you get from God, it comes from the Holy Spirit revealing it to your heart. And God didn't charge you money for it. God didn't require you to go to a conference. God didn't even ask you to put on a tie on before you prayed. Although I looked, uh, uh, you know, we love to preach in ties. But God doesn't require those things of you to receive from him. But they come through the Spirit of God. So if somebody's not born again, they're not going to receive those things. And if somebody is not flowing in the Spirit of God, they're going to have a hard time hearing those things. A couple more verses on this subject. Let's just keep going. It says in verse number 11, For what man knoweth, think, 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 and listen. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You see, only man understands man. And man can't understand God. Man is not God. God became a man, but man is not God. We just went through a whole list of this stuff on this past Wednesday night. So we... If we're going to understand God, God has to show himself to us. We don't just get to decide, well, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. You don't even know what tomorrow holds, Amen. let alone eternity past or eternity future. Amen. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. And, and so, you know, we say, well, if I was God, I would have done it like this or you know, why does he have to do it like that? Why does he have to do it like that? Hold up. You're not God. Amen. 
There's only one God. Everything else that's named God is a false God. There's only one God. And that one God will only reveal himself to people that love him, people that seek after him through the spirit of God. And so it, it just more mortal men can only understand other men in a limited capacity. For example, you can't truly understand the plight of others. You can empathize to the best of your ability. There's a saying. It says, you know, well, you should try to walk a mile in my boots. Right? You should do what I do. See if you like it like that. Right? But so we can empathize a little bit because we can relate a little bit because we're both men or women, humans. But we can't relate to God like that. God's so far above us, so much holier, so infinite, so great, so wonderful that we can only know him if he chooses to reveal to us who he is. And so whenever we get into this topic about the attributes of God, understand you can only know what God reveals to you. This is why the word of God is so beautiful, so powerful, so awesome. This is why the Bible calls itself a lamp for your feet and a light for your path so that you can know who God is. Everything in scripture testifies of Jesus. And Jesus reveals who God is, the nature of God. So I said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he manifests who God is to you and to I. And so if we're going to understand anything about God, we're going to see it in the Scripture. It's going to be confirmed by the Spirit, and we're especially going to see it in the life of Christ. Those three things are three fundamental guidelines to understanding God. You'll see it in the scripture somewhere, Psalms, Old Testament, somewhere. Then you'll have the spirit of God confirm it and then you'll see it displayed in the life of Christ. You'll see it displayed in how he lived, what he did when he came, and how he treated others. Now one of the things that's important about this in, um, in this passage Look what it says in verse number 11, at the end of it. It says, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You know how many people try to tell you all kinds of stuff about God, but they're not born again? They try to tell you, well, God couldn't do this and God couldn't do that. No man knows God. No man knows God. It, 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 the only way you're going to know God is if the Spirit of God is alive in you. That's the only way you're going to know anything about God is if the Spirit of God is alive in you. This is why it's so amazing when you get around believers that you may not know. You, you, and naturally, you may not have any natural relationship with them. But when you get around them and they start talking about the Lord, your spirit starts, your spirit starts revving up a little bit. One of my favorite things about my father-in-law, he loves the Lord, and every time he comes to our house, you know, they travel in, we'll stay up till 2, 3 in the morning talking about Jesus. Because, you know, once somebody starts talking about Jesus, it's hard to stop. And you start telling one story, you start telling one, and how God's faithful in this, and what you've been reading about that. And that's how the Spirit is 
because the Spirit bears witness. You get, you get around other people that love the Lord, you want to be around them more because it's the Spirit that bears witness. This is seen clearly and abundantly, I think beautifully, in, in the conception whenever Jesus uh, was in Mary's womb. You see this played out because what happened when he got around his cousin, John the Baptist? John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. The Spirit bore witness to the Spirit. That, that spirit of man. You, and you know what? Nobody had to go to John the Baptist and say, hey, baby, there, Emmanuel's coming in Mary's womb. Right? They didn't have to get down and, 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 and teach because the spirit bore witness. And when you, when you receive those things of God, the spirit will bear witness. Have you ever been in a church service? In, in, no, not this one, right? Have you ever been in a church service where the preacher's just not hitting right and he's saying stuff that's wrong, wrong, wrong and your spirit starts getting grieved, right? Now, this is different than conviction. Your spirit doesn't bear witness when, you, when the preacher starts, you know, how many of y'all brought your wallet tonight, huh? Whoa, whoa, what? You know, the spirit bears witness to the truth. And the Spirit's grieved in false lies. Spirit bears witness to the truth. If a preacher or a teacher or a Bible study is preaching the truth, or you run into somebody at the grocery store and they start talking truth about Jesus, the Spirit will bear witness. But when you get around other believers and they're talking about a different kind of Jesus, if you know the Spirit of God, it won't bear witness you'll know something's off about them. Something's just off about them. There was a time um, I, I was talking to somebody, and I just knew something was off about them. I just, I just knew something was off about them. It was just, I just discerned it, right? Well, it wasn't me. It was the Spirit of God. It was just not jiving. The Spirit of God just wasn't, you know, allowing me to get fully vested in this person. That Something's off. And so whenever that happens to me, I always try the spirit, right? I try, and you know what the best, and I'll show you this in a little bit in 1 John chapter 4. But the best way to try the spirit is start talking about Jesus. Started talking about Jesus, and I started telling them all the great things that Jesus has done. Jesus this, Jesus that. And you know, every time I said the word Jesus, this guy turned his head, couldn't look at me in the eye whenever I spoke the name of Jesus. And that told me right there, there was something majorly wrong with this person, majorly wrong with this person. And that actually came to pass, that he really was not right with the Lord at all. Complete, complete false teacher. But the Spirit will bear witness, amen? So we may not know everything about God, but God gives the Spirit into men so that we can know God and we can see God at work in other people's lives. We can see God at work in other, in other ministries. We can see God at work in other nations because the Spirit will bear witness with the Spirit because it's the same Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's one Spirit, right? One Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. All right. Last verse, verse 11. But no, we did verse 11, didn't we? Let's do verse 12 then. Okay, so no, so 
even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now listen to this. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God gives you his Spirit. One of the main reasons that he gives you his Spirit is so that he can communicate to you who he is and what he's given to you. He gives you his spirit to empower you to be a bold witness, but he gives you his spirit so he can communicate to you because you can't hear him without his spirit. You can't understand him. It's like somebody talking French, right? It's like somebody talking a completely different language. You say, you know, I see your mouth moving, but I don't understand what you're saying. Until somebody's born again, they can't understand God. That's one of the reasons why God baptizes in the Holy Spirit is so that you can comprehend God, so that you can understand God, not on a natural level, but on a supernatural level. That's the only way you can understand God because he's a supernatural God. So he'll put his spirit in you so that he can communicate to you. And you know how, how grievous it must be to God to put his spirit in you to fill you with the Holy Ghost, to put a spirit in you, and then you not communicate to him? You remember whenever Jesus told the disciples, he said, you know, go to Jerusalem and tarry, tarry there until you be what? Endued with power from on high. That's what he said in Acts. Go over there. Wait, tarry till you're endued with power on high. What do you think would have happened if they would have gone fishing instead? You think they still would have gotten the Holy Ghost? What about after they got the Holy Ghost? Do you see them going fishing after they got the Holy Ghost? And I'm not against fishing. Don't get me wrong. But do you, do you get the point? Do you know what happened after they got the Holy Ghost? They took up the same mantle that Jesus had. You remember his mantle? Don't you know I must be about the Father's business? What's the Father's business? To seek and to save the lost. The church, if the church has the true Holy Ghost, if the church has the Spirit of God inside it, if the Spirit of God is in you, there should be a desire to be about the Father's business. There should be a burden for souls on us. There should be a desire to see other people come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be filled with his spirit and to know God, to know him more and to be able to communicate with God. Listen, you, you don't have to have a PhD to communicate with God. All you have to do is be born again and have the spirit of God inside you and God will commune with you. That's why he gives you the spirit. Now, whether you use that opportunity or not is between you and God. This is when we get into prayer life. You know, you, and you know, Paul says, pray without ceasing, right? You know what that means, to pray without ceasing? It means to live in an attitude of prayer. You, whenever somebody asks you to pray, you shouldn't have to say, well, hold on, let me get some things right in my life, and then I'll get back with you. That means you're not living in an attitude of prayer. When you live in an attitude of prayer, you can just as easily be talking to somebody and talking to God at the same time. You can just as easily say, hey, you need to go over here, Lord. I need you to do this. Lord, we need this. Oh, hey, you need to go over here. 
When you're living in an attitude of prayer, there's no difference between the way that you relate to others and the way you commune with God. It's all the same. It's just one life lived out prayer without ceasing. Everything that you do is a prayer to God. Everything you do is with God in mind. Everything you do is unto God for his glory because you're on his mission. Just like I was saying earlier, the, the disciples, they took up that same mantle of Jesus. Don't you know we must be about the Father's business? And if a church or a people of God have received the Spirit of God, there's a desire in them to pick up that same mantle, that same ministry, right? You know, whenever you start a ministry, whenever you start, when, if God gives you a vision for starting a ministry, right? Your, your ministry may be to, to women uh, that are abused or children that are orphaned or, you know, widows or whatever your, your ministry might be that God puts on your heart. Do you know we should all have the same mission statement? To seek and to save the lost, to be about the Father's business. We should all have the same mission statement because we should all be on the same mission. Amen. Amen. And if we're not on the same mission, guess what? We might have different spirits. So if we're not on the same mission, it's possible that we're getting different orders from a different spirit. Because the spirit of God, the spirit of God inside us will relate to us the burden that God has. And the burden that God has is for souls. God is long-suffering right now. We, we live in what's called the, the day of the age of grace or the church age. Dispensation of grace, however you want to say it. We live in that time, but God's not up there whittling a stick. When the Bible says that God is long-suffering right now, it doesn't mean that he's bored and he's whittling a stick. It means he's pleading for souls. This is why, you know, Jesus said that there's, you know, the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice. There's more rejoicing in heaven when one repents. You know that they're waiting with anticipation for one more. One more. The, you know, I, I, I heard a song that said, you know, preacher, keep preaching. Choir, keep singing. And, and, and he's talking about, you know, if there's just one more, the angels of heaven are going to keep singing. They're going to keep shouting. They're going to keep praising. If one more comes, that's what they're waiting on. They're anticipating on. So it's, it's not that the Lord is up in heaven just twiddling his thumbs. His, his desire is that all the sheep come home. His desire is that, that the lost are saved. His desire are that those that are bound in chains be set free. His desire is that those that are walking in those dry places like we talked about earlier are filled with the Spirit of God. And so in, in setting this up, we're talking about who God is. And the only way that you can know God is if God reveals himself to you. You remember whenever uh, Jesus was talking with Peter over in Matthew, and he said, who do men say that I am, right? And Peter said, well, some say this, some, you know, John the Baptist, some Elijah. He said, well, who do you say that I am? Is this is the most important question is who do you say Jesus is? If you say Jesus is a good teacher, he's a good teacher. You say he's a prophet, yes, he's a prophet. But who is he? Is he God? Is he God? That's the question. And, and when you say yes, when you say, yes, he is God, 
You know what? Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. What's he saying? Same thing this verse said. You didn't get that from man. Man doesn't come up with that. Man hates that. Men hate that. The people with coexist bumper stickers hate that. Any other religion in the world, they hate that. When you say God became a man, they hate that. But Jesus is God. And so whenever Peter said that you are God, you're the son of God, right? He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who? My father, which is in heaven. My father. God. God revealed it through the spirit to you. Right? You know, God didn't shout from heaven. He revealed it through his spirit. That's how he operates. He reveals it through the spirit. And when he revealed it through the spirit, Peter got it. Peter got it. And anybody that ever believes on Jesus gets that same revelation. So nobody can ever know anything about God unless God first reveals to them. If you understand it, now look, whenever I, I remember whenever I was little, I learned all kinds of stuff in church, but it was only head knowledge. It wasn't revelation knowledge. There's a huge difference between head knowledge and revelation knowledge. One of the things, um, here's something that uh, I, I think I shared this on Wednesday night, A.W. Tozer. He said that the devil has better theology than you. But it's all head knowledge. He doesn't believe with that. But, you know, I could teach you theology, and, you know, we are not going to do that, but we could go through systematic theology 101, 102, 103, 104. We could learn theology. I could get you to pass a test. But you know what? That doesn't guarantee that it sinks into your heart. Revelation comes from God, not man. You can memorize it. You can learn it. You can make a diagram about it. You can write it on your hand. You can get a tattoo of it on your arm, which I don't, you know, subscribe to that. But you can do all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It doesn't mean that you got the revelation of it. Because once you get the revelation of it, it'll change your life. And once you get that revelation of it and it changes your life, you'll begin wanting to change other people's lives. You'll begin to catch that same vision the apostles caught to be about the Father's business. That was the whole deal. You know what? God didn't save you just so that you can go sit on the shelf and be like a pickle in a jar. God saved you so that you can share the gospel with others so that they can get saved too. God wants to use you to reach others. How about that? Amen. Amen. Do you know that there's people in your sphere, there's people in your friendship, there's people that you work with, people that are neighbors to you that may not hear the gospel from anybody else but you. God doesn't want you to be a pickle. God wants you to be a vessel. And you've got to make that choice whether you're going to get on program with God or, or whether you're going to just sit on the sidelines. And if you sit on the sidelines, it's an indicator that things aren't right. Amen? It's an indicator that things aren't right. And so sometimes we need to say, God... Lord, if there's something in me, any false way. You know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 4. And um, David, it says in that psalm, he said he communes with God on his bed, in his own heart. What does that mean? God, search my heart. Search my heart. If there's any error in my heart, God, show it to me because I want to confess it. I, I want to repent of it. I want to get it out of my life. I don't want there to be anything between me and you anymore. I want to walk completely 
fully in you. And I want you to have every right to everything in my life. I don't want there to be a portion of my life where I shut you out. I don't want to live for you one day and then live for me another day. I want you to have all of my life, not just from 8 to 5 and then from 5 to 10 as me. I want you to have it all. Amen? I was uh, shared a quote this past week. It slips in my mind who said it, but um, it was a, a woman. I think it might have been Amy Carmichael. Uh, she said, there's, there's no difference between sacred and secular. It's all sacred to God. You, you don't have a, a sacred part of your life and a secular part of your life. It's all God's. It's all God's. Okay, let's go um, to Romans chapter. No, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. Let me take you to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. So one of the things that we're going to be getting into, like I said, are these attributes of God. This is about the character and the nature of God. And it's, it's only revealed. Now, somebody can learn this book knowledge way. way but it doesn't come except for revelation by the Holy Spirit. And once you get a revelation of it, it'll change your life. Amen. So 1 John chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 7, the first one that we're going to cover is love. Now, when we're talking about the attributes of God, it doesn't mean that God can love. The statement is, God is love. That's the statement. It is not that God can love. It is not that God has the ability to love. It's what he is. He doesn't stop. When he pronounces judgment on somebody, it's in love. Whatever he does is in love. Beginning in verse number 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If somebody doesn't love, they don't know God. You, now, you, I hope that you're putting this together. You can't know anything about God except that the Spirit of God is in you because that's how God communicates to you. And if the Spirit of God is in you, you will love others because that Spirit that's in you is love. Do you see how those things connect? It's not that you have, it's not that you got to go, Oh, man, so-and-so's at the door again. I got to act like I love them. You know how you got to do it Thanksgiving, right? You got to act like you love folks. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a genuine love for them. Now, we're going to talk about what love is because here's the thing. Love of the world 
and the love of God are way different. The, the world loves is an imitation, but it can never duplicate. Always remember that. The world imitates, but it can never duplicate. So God loves and the world loves, but they're two different kinds of love. The world loves in a what have you done for me lately way. And everybody has different degrees of it. Different thresholds. What have you done for me lately? You haven't done this? When are you going to do that? Okay, I'll love you. That's the world's love. In the world, and, it, and it goes in varying degrees, but that is an imitation and a poor one of God's love. But see, here's the thing. God loves you. You were made to receive God's love. God made you that way. You need God's love. Without God's love, you're incomplete. You're not whole until the Spirit of God comes in you. And when he does, he brings the love of God to you. Amen? And if you don't love others, it shows that you're not walking in the love of God to you. So that was verse number 8. Look at verse number 9. It says, in this, now now, now you're going to get a little bit of a description about what the love of God is, okay? So I kind of told you about the world's love. Here's a little bit of a description about God's love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Manifested means appeared, revealed. Is how you know what it is. The love of God towards you. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Listen, you and I will never understand or comprehend the magnitude of that verse. That, that the eternal God, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God from the beginning came into the world because he loved us. We'll never understand or comprehend the magnitude of that on this side of heaven. What am I trying to say? We can't fathom what it cost him. Only by the Spirit of God can it be revealed to us a little glimpse of what that is. One of my favorite word studies in the Bible is the word glory. It, it doesn't mean Shekinah. Get that out of your head. But one of my favorite word studies in the Bible is glory. And one of the, the definitions of glory in, in um, the Bible, the, the definition is a description, right? I love word descriptions. You get a good book, it'll tell you those word descriptions. And the best one I ever got was about meekness. And the other one is about glory. And what about glory is this. The word description is a picture, right, of somebody standing on their tippy toes looking into a window trying to see, okay? How do you put that? How do you compute that? Well, when you get a glimpse of the glory of God, you can't see fully. You, don't, you can't see the beauty of God whole and whole yet. But if you, if you pray and you seek God and you fast 
and you pursue God and you love God, you'll begin to see glimpses. If you'll get on your tippy toes and look as as hard as you can and get up as high as you can, you'll get glimpses of the beauty of the Savior. The Bible says that the glory of the Son of God will outshine the sun in space. We can't comprehend that, but if we if we let our hearts get there and we pray and we seek God, we can just get a little bit of that magnitude in our spirit and just say, oh, how beautiful is he going to be when his glory outshines the sun. How awesome is our God. How piercing are his eyes, though, when he looks on you with those flames and fire in his eyes. White hair, holy God. Glory. You know there's not going to be any sun, moon, and stars because we're going to have Jesus. There will be no night there, no tears, no sorrow, and no night because our God is that beautiful. Our God is that beautiful. There is no night. Amen. Our loved ones that are in heaven now, they don't need a pillow because the glory of the Son of God is so beautiful and so awesome. There's no night there. Amen. Amen. There's no night there. But a verse like this in verse number 9, we can't comprehend it completely, but only by the Spirit of God can we get a glimpse of how powerful this passage is. This and in that, in that is how we know what God's love is. How much did it cost a God that beautiful to condescend himself and be made a creature? How did the creator allow himself to step into creation? To experience hunger and suffering and sorrow and shame all to bear our sin on the cross the depth of his love we'll never know the height the width right we'll never know God loves you infinitely more than you even think right now God's love for you knows no bounds God's love is amazing, and it was manifested in the coming of Jesus. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean? Well, how is that different than the world's love? Well, first off, I, I told you, well, I don't know if I told you or not, but I heard a minister say this. He said, we were unworthy, but not unwanted. We were unworthy, but we were not unwanted God wanted you even when you were unworthy this is different than the world's love because the world will only want you if you're worthy it is completely opposite of the world the world will only love you back if you're good enough and you give them what they want God never asked nothing from you but God desired you. God never asked nothing of you. He didn't make you jump through hoops before he died on the cross for you. 
He didn't make you start talking better, dressing better. He didn't ask you to do nothing for him, but he gave it all for you. And when I say he gave it all, infinitely more than we can imagine right now, the beautiful creator becoming into creation. How amazing is our God? And how stark of a contrast is this from the world's love? The world's love is, I'll love you if you meet my need first. I'll love you if you do this for me first. And I'm being simplistic with it, but every single worldly scenario of love boils down to that. Well, you stopped washing the dishes. You can't manage the checkbook. You, you wrecked the car again. I'm done loving you. I'll marry you if you finish college and get a good job. Come on. I'll marry you if you sign a prenuptial agreement. What, what about two becoming one? Well, what's the deal? God's love and the world's love, way different. Because God gave it all for you before you even blinked your eyes. You weren't un unwanted. You were just unworthy. And we're still unworthy. Continuing on, it says in verse number 10, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to the, be the propitiation for our sins. That's what I was just talking about, right? That's how you know what God's love is. It's not what you do for God. You don't prove that you don't prove God's love by listing all the things that you do for God. You know that's futile, right? Because God knows why you do what you do. And God knows you probably complained why you did it. God knows us. He knows our coming and our going, our rising and our lying down. Love is not what you've done for God. Love is what he's done for you. That's what love is. And when you want to communicate this kind of love into our lives with one another, it should be about sacrificing of ourselves for others. Sacrificing of ourselves for others. If somebody's not willing to sacrifice for you, they don't love you. Not like this. They love you with the world's love, not with the God kind of love. Amen? And I don't mean sacrificing like put up with you. Because <laughs> we all got to put up with you. <laughs> all right. Verse number 11, last one right here. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You know what? If the magnitude of God's love is that great, now you remember where we started at, right? You can only know God because the Spirit of God's in you and He's revealed that to you. If the weight of that has been put inside you, you can't contain it. If you've got the real thing, if you've got the real Spirit of God with, is, God, is, is the Holy Spirit God, right? Holy Spirit's God. 
if you've got the Spirit of God in you and God is love, it's more than you can hold. If God loved us like that, we've got that love in us, we should be loving others. We should be loving others. Now, one of the saddest realities in the modern church, well, there's a lot of them, but one of them is that you don't hear a lot of sermons on God's love. You really don't. One of my favorite preachers one time, he was over in England, and he was preaching, and the first night he preached at a revival, he preached on John 3.16, right? Greatest verse in the Bible. Go to any football stadium. Right? Second night of the revival, John 3.16. Third night of the revival, John 3.16. Deacons came and got him after that one, though. They was boiling after the second one. He had the audacity to preach it on the third one. They came and got him after that. And they said, you, you're going to have to preach something different next time. Okay, I'll preach something different. Fourth night, John 3.16. I thought you said you was going to preach something different. He said, y'all hadn't got this one yet. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 real quick. Romans chapter number 5. See, one of the problems, though, is we don't understand the love of God. We don't hear it enough. And we know that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not man. You want to learn something about God, get in the word of God. So Romans chapter number 5, verse number 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the grumpiness of... Oh, well, that's not what it says, right? It says, Hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God, listen, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. See, if you belong to Him and the Holy Ghost is in you, the love of God has not been put in a corner. It's not put in a little vial that you can break open every now and then. It says if you're born of God and the Spirit of God lives in you, the love of God has been shed abroad abundantly in your heart by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So if we're not loving others, there's a major problem. Major problem. We're not walking in the Spirit. You can't say that you walk in the Spirit and then you hate one another, right? But think in God's terms. Think in God's terms. Remember I told you that the disciples, I believe, they caught a vision for whenever Jesus was 12 and his parents couldn't find him and they said, you know, what are you doing over here? He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? I believe when they received the Holy Ghost, they were consumed with the father's business. I believe that fire shot up in their bones like Jeremiah talked about, but it, wouldn't, it wasn't so they could have conferences. It was so they could save souls. And when they got on the Father's business, the world started shaking, literally. 
The, the, the world couldn't bear them and sent them and persecuted them everywhere. But the love of God was in their heart and their desire was that other people would be saved. Everywhere they went, they preached Jesus. When the Pharisees said, don't preach in that name anymore, he said, should we obey men or God? Amen? People will let you talk about God all day long. People will let you say anything about God, but once you stand up for Jesus, they're going to come after you. And it's only going to increase. We're in perilous times. We're in perilous times, and the church don't even know it because we're busy drinking coffee and going to conferences. A couple of passages. I want to just stay in the book of Romans and, and just kind of wind this down. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Kind of danced around this one. Well, let's, let's go with verse number 37. It says, nay, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Do you know what more than a conqueror is? It's like a Viking pillage stuff. I don't know. More than conquering is pretty victorious. I don't know how much more victorious you can get than to conquer something. But the Bible says you're more than a conqueror. But I don't feel like it. Well, it doesn't say you would feel like it. It says what you are. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. This thread is so deep. This thread is so deep. If you pull on it, God will change your life. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. You know, that's all the world lives for. That's all they live for. They think they just get to live and then they die and it's over. But listen to the words of the Holy Spirit. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers, things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of God in you, no devil can chase out of you. The Spirit of God in you is like a buoy in a storm. No rocking storm, no temptation, no testing, no trial can cause the buoy to sink. Amen? The Spirit of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God when you're in Christ. The key is being in Christ. Once you're in Christ, you've got it. 
because God is love and the spirit of God resides in you and is shed abroad in your heart. And no man, no power, no devil, not even dying can separate you from the love of God. When you get up, God loves you. When you lie down, God loves you. When things work, God loves you. When things don't work, God loves you. When you have enough, God loves you. When the cupboard's bare, God loves you. God loves you. Nothing can separate you from that. God purchased you with the blood that was shed on the cross. He purchased you because he loves you. And you're worth it to God. You didn't deserve it, but he loves you. One more passage we're going to go to. Just go backwards a little bit to verse 28. It's one of my wife's favorite verses. Verse, let's start with verse 27, though, because it kind of it relates to where I started at tonight. Ooh, I keep backing up. No, I'm just going to stay there. It says in verse number 27, He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is, this is speaking of the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit prays in you. Amen? A lot of times our prayer life don't match the prayer life God wants us to have. And sometimes we'll have that churning in our stomach. You, you might think you want some enchiladas or you ate some bad chicken, but the Spirit of God's trying to get you to pray. Sometimes you feel like the bottoms done fall out of your stomach. Pray. Pray. Sometimes you wake up at 3 in the morning and you don't know why, pray. Pray. When things don't make sense, pray. When everything's going great, that's when you really better pray. Because the wheel's about to fall off. Pray. Pray. In the Spirit of God, he makes these intercessions, but he prays through you. He prays through you. And then look at this, verse 28. It says, and we know, everybody say, we know. We know know that all things, everybody say all. All All things work together for good to them that love God. To them that love God. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that we love God? You remember, I know it was a few chapters ago. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. How do we know that we love God? Because we love others. Not, and I don't mean give them a sticker. I mean if they're a believer, pray for them. Lift them up. Meet their needs if you have the ability. In fact, James goes a little bit deeper. You know, and, and, and even in John. How can we say that the love of God dwells in us when we shut the bowels of our compassion? Like when when we're not willing to give somebody what we have. Somebody comes to us cold and hungry, don't send them away and say, God bless you. 
Yeah. Give them what they need. Actually love them. How can we say that we love God if we don't love others? But here's something that's very important in this message. I want you to catch this. I'll catch this. Love, you can't understand this message except that the Spirit of God is in you. And the Spirit of God communes it to your heart. You can hear that God loves you all the days of your life, but until the Holy Spirit tells you and whispers to you, he says, I love you. That's when that revelation comes. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jehovah, God Almighty, Jesus loves me. And when you get a revelation that Jesus loves you, it'll change your life. It'll change your life because then you know that no matter what happens to you in this life, nothing can separate you from God. You know that no trial, no tribulation, no testing, no trying can separate you from your God. It's only a matter of time before you see him face to face. In between this day and that day, I'm going to love him because he loves me. And one of the greatest ways that we can love God is to get on board with God's mission. One of the greatest ways that we can love God back is singing songs, singing hymns, reading the Bible, having devotion time. But listen, guys, all those things should be pointing us to the mission. To the mission. I love churches. I wish ours did. We need to one day. They have that sign on the door as you exit. It says, you're now entering the mission field. Because everything that we do as believers should direct us to the lost, to the hurting, to the downtrodden, to those whom God is waiting on. Look, if you're born again, you're in. You're in. Our generation will say, you're in like Flynn. If you're born again, you're in. But look, Jesus hadn't come back yet. And if he hadn't come back yet, there's somebody else he's wanting to bring in too. And when you truly love God, you'll get on board with his mission and you'll go out and you'll try to bring in all those that you can. Amen? That's what God's looking for. That's what God's looking for. You say, well, you know, what does Christianity consist of? Just get saved and then just start going to church. No, no, no. No, no. Get on mission. Get on mission. If you're not on mission, yeah, you're going to be bored. If you're not on mission, it's going to be blah, blah, blah. But once you get on mission, it's exciting. Every step is a challenge. There's something behind every door. Every conversation you have with somebody is that potential soul that, God, that God's going to bring into the kingdom. God's going to use you to either plant seeds or to bring in the harvest. But God wants to use you, and that's why he bought you. Amen? To use you. And that's one of the greatest things that we can, we can see in the book of Acts with the church. No, you'll never see them going fishing after they got the Holy Ghost. Before? Yes. Before the Holy Ghost? Oh, yeah. They were all about their own selves, right? And Peter famously said, I go fishing. All right? I'm going fishing. What are we going to do now? I don't know. I'm going fishing. But once Peter got the Holy Ghost, 
he didn't never stop talking about Jesus. He never stopped sharing the gospel with others. He never stopped sharing the gospel with even Gentiles. Remember the vision he got in Acts chapter 10? He never stopped. Paul wants the, the scales, and this is one of the things God spoke to me, is some, somebody, you know, even listening to this, God may be removing scales from your eyes. But Paul, I mean, his life, he was on the road to Damascus persecuting the church, and he's blinded by the beauty of the one we were just talking about. Blinded by his beauty, it was a bright light, amen? And he had to get those scales, right, come off. And sometimes we can go about our own business and call it God's business, but it's not. We need to get the scales removed from our eyes and get on board with God. Be about the Father's business. If he's tarrying, if he's tarrying, listen, if God is tarrying, and he is right now, if God is tarrying, it's not so that the church can have another conference. If God's tarrying, it's not so the church can build a second deck. If God's tarrying, it's not so you can go on vacation. If God is tarrying, it's for a soul out there that's drunk and belly up at the bar. It's for a soul out there that just got the papers on a divorce. It's for a soul out there who's thinking about suicide. If God is tarrying, he's tarrying because he's waiting on souls. And it's time for the church to love God and to love others and be about the Father's business and stop being about our own. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we bless you tonight, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us, Lord. We thank